You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered. Listener supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good evening, I'm Abe Shapiro. And I'm Ruth Flegman. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. In today's feature report, I, along with WFHB correspondents Catherine Lewis, Grace Romine, and Cade Young, spoke with voters and poll workers on primary election day this afternoon. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half an hour, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between Lil Bub's Big Fund and WFHB. But first, your local headlines. Ellettsville Town Council meeting on April 24th discussed an ordinance on a water rate increase. Senior manager at Baker Tilly, Mitchell Eschweiler, shared the findings of their study on the water rate study they were contracted to conduct. A water rate study uh, to to look at where does your water utility currently stand for its rates and charges, uh, what are some of the things that need to be addressed, and to see if we would need to do some sort of rate increase for the utility Um, A little background, Uh, we filed with the IURC back in 2015 for a rate increase. Uh, That's the last time the rates for the water utility were adjusted. So it's been about eight years since the water utility rates have been formally adjusted through an IURC proceeding, uh, which is what we would do here today if you were to go and approve a rate increase. Eschweiler shared the history on the cash and investment balances for the town of Ellettsville. You can see there over the past three years, Cash balances have been relatively stable, but we do see uh, from 2020 to 2022, they start to come down. Uh, Moving to the second section there, your revenues and expenses. This is really what's driving that decrease in cash that we saw from 21 to 22. Uh, You can see here your operating expenses are starting to grow and they're beginning to outpace your revenues. Um, Some of the larger items we'll talk about later, um, payroll increases, uh, purchase water from Bloomington, and we've also seen uh, higher costs for materials and supplies, really driven by what we're seeing uh, nationwide with inflation levels. Um, one thing I just wanted to focus on at the bottom there is your historical coverage, uh, also known as bond coverage. You can see there in 2020, it was 157%. And due to those rising expenses, we've seen that coverage come down to 44% for 2022. Uh, when you go and issue debt like you did back in uh, 16, uh, you're committing to have bond coverage of 125%. So as you can see for 22, because of those higher expenses, the coverage there for the bonds fell below the 125% mark in your bond ordinance. He said that if the rate changes passed, the average residential user's cost would go from $24 to $32. Uh, This is looking at a usage for 4,000 gallons. This is typically about an average residential user. Uh, You can see here, Ellettsville's current rate, uh, average user is paying $24.44. And we'll uh, talk about some of the drivers of the increase, but after the proposed increase, you'd be looking at an average bill of $32.62. And you can just see some of the surrounding communities close to Ellettsville. Um, you are on the lower end currently, and this is gonna put you uh, right, right about in the middle of the pack. And just for reference, a lot of these communities um, we do work with and know that they are also in the process of looking at rates. So it's not something uncommon at this time, especially with what we're seeing with the cost of labor and materials. 
who shared the next steps if the council wanted to move forward with the water rate increase. And then just a little background on what steps would happen next. Um, we would adopt a resolution in the bond ordinance. Um, we would file, we're going to use a small utility filing with the IRC. They allow you to do this if you have less than 8,000 customers. Um, it's a little leaner process than going through a full rate case. And this is a good one to do that because you're not going to, you're not issuing debt with the water utility. Um, so through that process, um, we would file, they have a standard form, we'd file our work papers. They have the OUCC that works with the IRC. They'll go through all the work papers, they'll go through your financials, they'll prepare their own report. Um, they'll be, they'll come out and they'll say, we recommend this rate increase. And then after that happens, both sides kind of go back and forth and usually either reach a settlement or if you wanted to go to the full case, which isn't always the most fun, but a lot of times you'll reach a settlement and that's the rate you'll formally adopt for the utility. The next Ellettsville Town Council meeting will be held on May 8th. At the Bloomington Utilities Service Board meeting on April 24th, Director Vic Kelson gave a presentation on the Resource Recovery Program Feasibility Study. Okay, by way of overview, uh, as you know, we did, a, we did an in-house study a couple of years ago or three years ago, uh, working with a number of people inside and outside of city government to look really at what we could get in terms of gas generation from our wastewater plants at Dillman. Uh, we determined that we wouldn't make enough gas there uh, to justify uh, anaerobic digester at that site. Uh, part of the reason was that the Dillman plant doesn't have a primary clarifier. So uh, most of our so primary solids are really an important uh, uh, source of energy for anaerobic digestion, but Dillman doesn't have primary solids. So uh, we determined that it really wasn't going to be feasible. Uh, on further review, uh, we wanted to look at what if we looked at putting a facility at, at Blue Tripool, what did we, what would, uh, and also what would be the feedstock market uh, for high, high strength or organic waste or food waste that could go into a facility like this. Uh, we also wanted to look at the uses for the gas that would be generated. Uh, they could either be used for combined heat and power, that's for operating the plant, uh, we could use the heat to operate the digester. The power would be used to operate the rest of the plant. Uh, we could also generate renewable natural gas, which could be sold onto the pipeline. Uh, and then uh, we, but we had lots of other questions like uh, renewable energy credits. Uh, there's a credit market that we might be able to tap to get additional uh, revenues in. Uh, there may be some other f uh, funding initiatives and incentives out there. Uh, and also, we really never had the ability at the time to look into a real triple bottom line of what else would this bring to us as a community. Kelson explained that the project is eligible for an investment tax credit that is for projects that have zero emissions. Uh, this is included in the recent Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, this uh, investment tax credit offsets a portion of the cost of building uh, the, uh, the renewable energy facilities. Uh, in our case, the digester itself, uh, generator uh, gear, and the, all of those kinds of things would be eligible for it. Uh, there would be a base credit value of 6%, another 2% base credit bonus, uh, if a project is constructed in a manner that meets domestic content requirements, which would be consistent with what the city of Bloomington does anyway. 
Uh, there's also a base credit bonus for being located in an energy community, which is a community that once uh, had a significant energy industry but doesn't anymore. We may not be eligible for that one. But then there's a five times base credit bonus if the projects uh, are um, executed in a way that uh, use prevailing wage and apprenticeship requirements. Uh, the prevailing wage uh, requirement is already consistent with Bloomington's, uh, the city of Bloomington's business practices. The apprenticeship requirements we would have to work with the vendors to achieve. But that 5x base credit means that we could receive an investment tax credit that could be up to 40% of the cost of the actual equipment that qualified under the, under the ITC. Kelson gave a summary of the financial feasibility. So for the financial model, again, we still do not produce enough wastewater to make anaerobic digestion financially self-sustaining. Uh, so we would have to, and in order to make money on something like this, we would have to capitalize on the investment tax credits and environmental credits that are available. Uh, project does have potential to reach economy of scale uh, such that it would be financially self-sustaining. Uh, and a uh, private party would have a higher cost of capital than we would. And of course, they would want to make a, a, a return on their investment. Uh, there is regulatory and market risk in pursuing a project like this. Um, so uh, you have to be careful about your assumptions. And look, and the financial model actually helps us assess how much the assumptions affect the final outcomes. He also gave a summary on the benefits that the project could have for the community. Again, a, a project like this satisfies more than just your pocketbook. There's also a triple bottom line. And the triple bottom line is looking not only at the financial impact, but also societal impacts and other, and, um, other impacts that benefit the community. Um, the city and, and Monroe County both have climate action uh, and sustainability plans in place. A project like this actually addresses a number of items that are in uh, the sustainability and uh, climate action plans uh, just because they reduce our, uh, they do things like reducing the amount of uh, waste that goes to landfill. Uh, something that uh, we, we had not mentioned yet is that we are presuming at this point that this project would generate class B uh, biosolids that would be suitable for land application uh, on farm fields, uh, we could, those biosolids could be made into class A by doing further digestion on the pro on, um, process. That would cost more, but those class A biosolids would, could be available for you to just pick up and put in your, in your garden and so forth. So um, we would be reducing the amount of waste that would go to the landfill. Uh, potentially, we would be helping uh, maintain soil quality, and uh, we would be reducing, eliminating the cost of hauling these, these biosolids to Terre Haute to put them in the landfill. So there is significant benefit there. Uh, there are also other benefits, job creation. Uh, there would be lots of construction jobs during the project. Uh, there would also be full-time operating positions uh, needed to keep it going. Um, that includes uh, the people who would be collecting the waste and, and marketing the service of, of taking that high-strength waste from outside organizations. Um, this would be also a sustainable organics disposal facility for local businesses. So it would give um, um, presumably restaurants and or, uh, institutions a place to send things like food waste that would not require them landfilling it. Uh, so there's some opportunities there. Uh, eventually, 
uh, if uh, if things worked out, eventually there might be interest in some sort of residential collection system. Uh, that's really difficult to do. So at this point, we are not assuming that that would be happening. The next Bloomington Utility Service Board meeting has been scheduled for May the 8th. Today marks primary election day. Local voters had the chance to select the nominees for City Council, City Clerk and Bloomington Mayor. WFHB News spoke with local voter Beth Ellis at Fairview Elementary School. right now and I was wondering um, you know, there's some people who are actually aren't even as aware of these going on right now and uh, how important would you say these are compared to bigger elections would you say they're of equal importance um, I always vote I have never missed an election in my life primary or otherwise since I was 18 even when I lived in Mexico so yes I think they're equally as important because even if it's um, a big election and we're uh, electing a president of the United States obviously that's a big deal but for local people the city council and the mayor, those are really big deals and that's gonna shape the whole future of our city. And for us, real honestly, that has way more impact on our lives than the big national elections. And uh, just to follow up as well, based on the fact that this is a primary and not quite the uh, big election in November, uh, why did you choose to vote on election day in person rather than voting early? Do you believe that there's a difference uh, or a better time to vote uh, in person or early? Um, that's a great question, actually. I, I always vote on election day. I don't know. I'm sentimental. I like to come on the election day. I used to vote in the primary school where I went. So for me, it was really exciting going into the cafeteria and voting where I ate lunch. Uh, I always vote on the election day, but I love that we have early voting because it's so important to me that as many people can vote as possible. And if people come, can't come out today, I want them to have plenty of time to be able to come out whenever they're available. Do you feel prepared to vote? Like, you know, as far as information on the candidates, maybe people running for city clerk or people running for city council. Do you feel like you had that information like readily available to you? I do. Um, I pay a lot of attention to local politics, so I spend a lot of time researching the candidates. Um, it's not unusual for me to individually contact the candidates, as I did to Sue. You can talk to her if you want. And I sent her an email that was about that long um, with a bunch of very detailed questions about, you know, her vision and her priorities and how she's going to handle things. I do that a lot because I just think it's super important to be engaged and to know what you're doing. I don't want to go in and vote for somebody who I don't know anything about. Would you say, now obviously Bloomington is, uh, can be primarily democratic. Do you believe that uh, this vote, this primary today is important and matters in the whole grand scheme of Indiana or could it have repercussions down the line? I think it does have repercussions because um, the decisions that we make both at the council level and at the mayor's office, they can ripple out into other parts of the state. Um, you know, Bloomington tends to be pretty engaged in a lot of economic development things in the state. And so the people leading the city here, they spread out into the whole state of Indiana. So even if people aren't Democrats, I'm hoping that they're coming out to vote today because it matters um, for all of us, you know, to make these choices. Next, we spoke with two poll workers at the Indiana Memorial Union. 
this is maybe the sixth or seventh year I've done it. Today's very slow. I started in the uh, central office for the elections downtown when I first started. And then I went to IU for all my, my three degrees. So I know I, IU really well, and I knew that they held them here. And this is just the most comfortable place. So I, they always put me here because I always ask to come here. It's, I mean, next year is going to be, for the presidential elections, it's jam-packed. Uh, I mean, they just, we never have, they never stop coming through the door. But hardly anybody knows about this one because it's regional. Um, any oddities, irregularities, or does it seem more or less like a normal election this year? Absolutely. There's really not been anything strange. There's not been any problems. It's gone very smoothly. Um, and then what do voters need to know before coming to their polling sites to cast the votes? The best thing to do is to bring their driver's license. They don't have a driver's license. The next best thing is to bring a student ID, but it has to be uh, IDs that are given, that are awarded in um, the state of Indiana. And there's only like seven schools that they permit. The only ones in Indiana that are that can be used for a ID uh, for elections are Indiana University, of course, Ivy Tech, IUPUI, Purdue, Ball State University, Indiana State University, Vincennes University, University of Southern Indiana, and WGU. This is my fourth time. I just needed to kind of set a good example, be knowledgeable and participate in your government. Well, I think uh, this site is a little different because people aren't working. So we didn't have hardly anybody very early. And evidently this is uh, finals week. So we did have uh, several people right from 12 to one, maybe. So maybe lunch, lunch break. I expect there'll be uh, several more at five or six because several people ask us uh, how late they can, how late we are staying open so they can vote then. So, well, city elections are always very, very light, and particularly in this precinct because we only have one precinct that has a Republican running. So, every other precinct. Uh, is only Democrat, so you wouldn't expect a large amount of people to vote in that kind of a primary. Well, I think it's difficult for the students to really know what's going on because they're not, when they go downtown, it's usually for entertainment. And so they are, really aren't involved with taxes and who's picking up your trash and are you going to be annexed or not annexed. And uh, you know, are they going to add a sales tax so they can add on to the convention center? So you guys really, the students, um, really aren't involved in city government at all. Now, there are exceptions because we did have a very active uh, person, and it was I. He was majoring in political science, so he made it a point, probably part of one of his classes, to attend political rallies and interview candidates, you know, and well, you have to know uh, where your polling place is, and then you have to know who's on the ballot, and you have to know what they stand for. Every political person will have a statement, and of course, uh, you have your two platforms mainly, uh, and those platforms have definite values that they prescribe uh, uh, being a part of that uh, uh, party. And um, 
so but but um, you can have a, a person running on one party and be very liberal and very conservative and the same on the other. So you can't really go by party totally, but there is a basic statement that is very different from the two parties and you need to know that by heart. And then you need to get on your computer and just look up and if you can go to a couple rallies, um, no matter which side it's on, uh, you'll get a flavor of how uh, much energy this candidate wants to put into their campaign and who's backing them. It's very, very important to find out where the campaign a person is getting their funds. Then, we spoke with two voters at the sample case, Tim Dywa and Emmett Nolan. What do you think the importance of voting is? Um, well, I mean, especially this year, the local elections have such low turnout. I think in 2019, there was a city council race decided by like 20 votes. So just on a personal level, your voice is magnified by how few people vote that you single-handedly could sway an election outcome. But just in broadly, I mean, voting is the only way we have control over our government and people who are against voting. I feel like it doesn't make sense to me because this is the only thing we have to do. So why not do it? So what time did you vote this morning? Um, I, early? I voted early, actually. Um, so I voted like April early April when early voting first opened. So. And what, what kind of contributed to the decision to vote early instead of on election day? Um, well, I knew that I would probably be involved with like helping other people get out the vote. So I knew that I wouldn't have a lot of time. And also my own final schedule was really hectic. Um, I'm now done with all my coursework, but um, I knew that I'd be busy during the last few weeks of early voting and little five weekend, there was a lot of plans going on. So. Um, I voted early just to get all that out of the way, so it was banked. I didn't have to worry about it. Is there anything important on this ballot, anything important to you, I guess I should say, that you care for? Yeah, um, I mean, the, the candidates running for mayor and city council this year have wildly different views on housing. And to me, I mean, being a renter in this town is terrible. And I don't have a bunch of financial privilege to just pay whatever rent a landlord wants. Like, I had to shop around for my next apartment. And to me, housing is the biggest issue on the ballot this year because certain candidates will do a better job of making housing cheaper than others. So, um, so you're set up right here on IU campus. Um, so... Clearly, you find a lot of importance in student voices, and uh, how, how important would you say that is, even for uh, smaller elections? Um, I think it's, well, actually, there's, so there's two undergraduate students on the ballot this year for two different city council districts. Um, so in terms of students having a voice, that is something that is literally being contested right now. But some, a lot of the city council districts have a lot of student housing complexes in them. So if students choose to register here and vote locally, as opposed to maybe absentee voting from their hometowns, um, they do have the potential to sway an outcome if students kind of vote as a block, I suppose. Um, I mean, that assumes that people all have like the same ideological views, but I think generally like we as a community of students are impacted by the same issues. So I think like speaking to those issues as a voice, um, as like a collective student body is, is helpful um, and it, it can impact the political outcomes. So. Well, if I could add, I mean, there's also the fact that uh, 
Gen Z as a demographic turns out the least of all demographics in elections. Um, I think in 2020, it was about only 50%. So, I mean, and that's in a presidential year. For local elections, you can only imagine how low that number is. So, I mean, we have a lot of power. We just don't really turn out to vote. Do you feel that your vote matters in this election, in the state, in the county? What repercussions do you see your vote having down the line? Yeah, well, I mean, lo with the local elections, I think that Bloomington is at an interesting turning point um, where, I, to me, housing is like my most important thing. If, if, if investments aren't made to make housing more affordable, um, I feel like Bloomington is probably the one of the, in my opinion, like one of the nicest places in Indiana. And it really could be like a mecca in a state that's having a lot of challenges. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add before we part ways? Give you the floor here. Um, yeah, local politics matters and your vote can swing an election. So if you don't vote in the primary, we'll have general elections for city in the fall. So there will be stuff going on to vote for then. Tune in tonight from 6pm to 9pm to hear WFHB correspondents live at the Cascades Inn for the Monroe County Democratic Primary Watch Party. Up next, we have Will Bub's Will Show, a co-production between Will Bub's Big Fund and WFHB. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here's today's featured animal. Today's featured pet comes from our local Bloomington, Indiana animal shelter. Bubby is a 14-year-old long-haired cat. He is an amazing, affectionate, and gorgeous old man. Bubby loves chin scratches and will drool the tiniest bit when he's really feeling them. He is well-loved by shelter staff. If you're looking for a senior pet who just needs a cozy home for their golden years, Bubby just might be for you. Bubby is diabetic and will need insulin and monitoring for this condition. Let's help Bubby find his forever home. If you're interested in meeting him, please call or visit the Bloomington Animal Shelter. If you're interested in adopting today's featured pet, you can learn more at our websites, goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. For today's featured topic on Lil Bub's Lil Show, I want to introduce you to an animal welfare agency you might not have heard of yet, the Pipsqueakery. Located in Bloomington, Indiana, the Pipsqueakery is a 501c3 nonprofit small animal rescue and sanctuary. 
They provide care for medically and behaviorally needy rodents, rabbits, and other small animals, and they educate the public on their care. And when possible, they find forever homes and rescue placement for healthy, adoptable animals. The Pipsqueakery has four focus areas, starting with sanctuary, making the primary focus of the Pipsqueakery to provide sanctuary care to animals with complex medical needs. They strive to develop individual plans that prioritize accommodating the special needs of each animal to allow them to live a fulfilling life as independently as possible. Veterinary Advances is next, and the Pipsqueakery has an on-site veterinarian and staff to help treat the animals in their care. By working with veterinary staff to treat some of the most difficult and unique cases of small animals, they help advance veterinary medicine for all rodents and rabbits. Adoption is another focus of their work, so when they do have healthy adoptable animals surrendered, they work to find the best placement for each animal. Sometimes that means adopting the animal to an excellent home, and other times it means transferring them to another rescue. Finally, education is another pillar of the Pipsqueakery's work. They believe they can have the greatest impact by educating the public on the needs of each of the species they handle, and they take this job very seriously. Through local and online outreach, the Pipsqueakery impacts the lives of thousands of animals. If you are interested in learning more, supporting their work through a monetary donation, or adopting an animal in their care, you should visit their website at thepipsqueakery.org. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org.